Hello and welcome to the Crop It Like It's Hot podcast brought to you by The Crop Tech Show, an arable farming magazine and hosted by me, Alice Dyer. As always, you can get one CPD point for tuning into this podcast. All you have to do is email the name of the podcast plus your basis account number to cpd at basis-reg.co.uk. Today, we are going to be looking at the new Environmental Land Management Scheme, or ELMS as it's better known, and we'll mostly be focusing on the Sustainable Farming Incentive because that's the part of the scheme we know the most about at the moment, albeit still not a huge amount, unfortunately. But I've got a great panel of guests with me, including an arable farmer taking part in the pilot scheme, consultants and much more. And they will hopefully be able to address some of the questions or concerns you might have about the future of policy. So without further ado, let me introduce my first guest, Amandeep Kure Purewell, who is Senior Analyst at AHDB. Hi Alice, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. So there are a lot of concerns um, about, you know, how future payments could transform the industry in terms of um, further consolidation of land ownership and farm rents and things like that. So has AHDB done any work on how it thinks that the changes to the subsidy system might change the industry either for better or for worse? What we've done so far is because obviously at the moment the information is fairly um, limited and, you know, the, the scheme is evolving and the whole point of the scheme is that it's going to be farmer-led. So as these, you know, trials and test um, pilot schemes are taking place with the sustainable farming incentive, for example, and then later in next year we look at the landscape recovery, etc., um, you know, are looking to be informed by what the farmers experience are to like formulate these going forward so um we also know for example payment rates are likely to change so it's a very fluid situation what we have been able to do is based on the information that we've got um at the moment we have done some analysis just to look at you know the gaps that you're looking at between current you know previous direct payment levels and what they could be going forward but obviously they come with a variety of caveats we don't know when in this analysis obviously the cost is an issue because we don't know how much it will actually cost to take part in some of these schemes, but we're looking to do a major piece of work, which will be out at the end of this year, um, looking into that, looking at um, farmers' behaviours, their attitudes towards the new schemes, and also those that aren't in, uh, interested in new schemes to sort of like help inform other farms of what other farmers are thinking, and also get you know help to glean some of information about the costs that are involved in implementing some of the standards that are involved in the new schemes. That's where that um you know peer to peer knowledge exchange is really going to come in. Going yeah, so this, in this is area. yeah, and in terms of um you know the income drop as a result of the loss of BPS, do you know? what that's likely to be sort of quite broadly speaking i suppose and how much of elms could maybe fill it we've just actually done um analysis on these um that's on the hdb website and the trade and policy pages so initially we looked at the sfi pilot scheme but we've also looked at to um also looked at what it means for 2022 for the sfi early roll-up so we've to look at we've looked at 2020 bps levels for example and then looking out towards 2024 we've seen like roughly what the gap could be going forwards for arable and for livestock and you know you can go on the website to have a look at the details there it's based on certain caveats which you've got to make sure you get you know you take 
um, take on board. But like an arable farm, basically, there's eight, there's different standards, but there's three levels that you can enter at. So there's the intermediate, the introductory level, intermediate, uh, and the advanced. And basically, the, 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 if you do the advanced one, you're more likely to um, reduce the gap between what you're going to lose from direct payments mm. and what you gain from their SFI payments. So again, it's that message of the more you do, the more you'll benefit. For arable, if you're doing the arable soil standards on a typical 100, on 100 hectares, for example, your combined um, basic payment, um, basic payments in 2024 um, and your SFI payments for just that standard, you could, you might see a drop of up to 40%. Whereas if you're doing the advanced one, you can actually see only um, 24%. That, that gives you gives you a bit of an indication of what to expect. Yeah, but at the highest level, there is still that gap. Oh yeah, there will there will be because like I said, what the thing is, this these schemes were never intended to be a like for like um, replacement for direct payment. So you know, the more you the more you engage in it, the more you get out of it. But you even even then, you're gonna have to have a look at overall business performance and look at all the various other elements of your business. Yeah. And what do you think um, farmers need to be aware of going into this new structure of payments? I mean, you've kind of already touched on this already, yeah. talking about um, the costs involved. But is there anything else? It's just, yeah, it's just, the, just being aware that these new schemes are not going to be a like-for-like replacement of what you'd be getting from direct payments. So it's a good opportunity to st- you know, start planning now and step back and look at the overall running of your business i mean there's various tools that can help on the hdb website for example i mean we've got the business impact calculator which can see how that you can put it in tailored for your own use as in how you know how you, your farm will be you know the reduction in your income from direct payment cuts and then there's other things we've done some work before a couple of years ago also looking at high performances of um top, characteristics of um top performing farms and the message there really was, is that, you know, a variety of things you can do. Nothing that's too um, onerous. So it's like making small changes can add up to a lot of um, a lot of benefit, really. So it's like simple things you can do which can make a big impact. And it's streamlining your business and making your business as resilient as possible. So it's really worthwhile to start doing that. Yeah, definitely. And of course, not everyone will want to look at um, SFI um, or, you know, any of these new schemes. So how, yeah, how can farmers kind of decide whether or not to get involved and what are the options for farmers that don't want to? I'd say, first of all, make sure they should at least make, you know, make sure that you're aware of what's available because, okay, fair enough, it's up to you then if you want to get involved or not, but at least be aware of what's available um, so you've got that choice. You can do that or you can look into other alternatives like could you, how would you diversify your business or can you specialise in something? So there, there are other options, but... Um, I mean, it's really, it would be worthwhile to at least look at these schemes to see if there's something that you can do. You don't have to do something completely wild. I mean, it could be, it could be something that's fairly adaptable for your farm to just maximise what you've got. And I guess some farmers will opt for the retirement option. There, there is, that is the consultation is going to, I think there's a couple, few more weeks left, the consultation, the delinked on the um, lump sum payment yeah. option. So if, if you decide that this, you know, you, you want to get out of farming or, you don't want to go down that road then you know there's that option of having that lump sum payment and then being able to you know having the financial means to do that and exit the sector yeah I guess it's hard at the moment because we don't know exactly how things are going to look and the exact structure and farmers are sort of chomping at the bit to 
get on board with all of this but they they just don't know how it's exactly going to look yet so it's yeah it's hard to make the decision yeah and it's a and it's a very, very sort of it's very, like i said it's very fluid at the moment so the things are changing it's being developed as we speak and it's going to be developed on the basis of what feedback they're getting from the farmers that are taking part so very very fluid situation yeah and the um future farming resilience fund has just launched um which ahdb is a part of and that basically um offers free advice to farmers so would you mind just telling us a bit about that please yeah so the aim of that is there's you know various organizations have been um, got some of the funds from the resilience fund and it's to help farmers sort of give them support through this change this agricultural transition period so help them some of the things I've been talking about, so understand the changes that are going to happen, how they're going to need to adapt and give them off them tailored support. So as one of the organisations, AHDB has got some of the, you know, one of the 19 organisations that has got funding for this. And it's about basically using, we've got lots of, like I said, we've got some resources and tools that we've already got as part of AHDB, but it's about packaging them up and then making them available to, you know, consultants, farm level, uh, other people, you know, other consultants and people go out to farms so and so they can actually go out and then offer these services to farmers who need them to give them more more bespoke for their actual business so you could actually have in some case tailored one-to-one support through this system and offer like a farm business review package to help farmers get prepared for this so if farmers are interested um register their interest so they don't miss out really well thanks Amandeep and I think there's lots of useful links and tools that our listeners can try out. No worries, I just hope that helped. Now, how the new scheme is going to affect access to land is also a concern that many people share, from tenant farmers to contract farmers or new entrants. So our next guest is going to fill us in on what he knows so far and the changes he foresees on the horizon. I've got Greg Beaton here, who is Agricultural Business Consultant, leading on Carbon and Natural Capital at Brown & Co. Hi Alice, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you? Alright, thank you. So, Greg, I've got some figures here from NFU that say just over 30% of farmers are currently in agri-environment schemes, but DEFRA's target is for 70% of farmers by 2028 to be in a scheme, which might sound quite ambitious to some. Um, So I'm interested to know, you know, what's kind of the mood amongst your clients? Do you think they're generally thinking of going for it or they're waiting for more information? Yeah, thanks. I, so, so I think actually things have changed quite a lot in the last 12 months. I think up until 12, 18 months ago, I think most farmers were sort of sitting there on the expectation of elms and thinking, well, we're going to wait until we see what the detail is within that. I think since then, we've seen a real rush into countryside stewardship. And I would be very surprised if the 30% figure from, from DEFRA or from the NFU actually isn't much higher than that now. We certainly know from our client base of over 2,000 farmers, I would think that that figure will be much higher um, of those entering into the current countryside stewardship schemes. So I think there's there's a momentum there. I think most people have now latched on to the, to the idea that they can segue into ELMS or SFI when it comes on board. Um, and so they're not waiting. They're saying, let's, let's take this on board now and start um, start getting some additional income in the same year, like this year, that BPS starts to reduce. I wanted to also focus a bit more so 
on farmers that don't own the land so it's less clear-cut so tenant farmers or contract farmers um, and people in situations like that so do you think this new model supports these businesses more than the previous subsidy system or perhaps even less so i think that's an interesting one so the um sustainable farming incentive is being piloted right now the 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 first pilots will kick off this autumn um and then next spring i think will be the first formal offers into um for the standards and probably the soil standard is the one that would be most applicable to to arable and horticulturists um so i think it's very much learning by doing Mm. Um, I, I do think that there's there's a lot of flexibility in there, and particularly there's some interesting, um, yeah, interesting sort of um, stances being taken around tenancies, around allowing agreement lengths in the SFI. They're testing whether they can be, you know, annual agreements rather than the, the standard five years we have at the moment. They're looking um, at how um, you know tenants can work. Um, outside of landlords, um, you know, sort of landlords' permission, if you like, that they've always had to have in the old agreements to see whether that's a runner or not. And um, so I think there's, I think that there is quite a, um, quite an intention to try and make it as applicable as possible for tenants. I think ultimately, for those who don't own the land, you know, the big question is what's going to be, ha- what's going to happen to rents. Mm. Um, and we know that the old, the old BPS regime very much underpinned land rentals. Um, so the question is, where's is that going to go? I think we're certainly seeing land rentals starting to come down. Um, and if the SFI and, and ALMS um, you know, can be shared um, or can be um, sort of allocated to, to tenants with, with ease, then um, it'd be interesting to see what happens to land rents. I think we might end up looking back at the productive capacity of land as being the bigger determinant of land rent in the future rather than necessarily the underpinning of a, of a BPS or a new owl scheme. Okay. And also from what you've seen, um, do you think that SFI goes far enough in recognising uh, kind of the diversity of farming and landscapes and soil types and business models and all these things we have here in the UK? You know, I'm thinking of root or veg growers that might rent within a rotation um do you think it recognizes all of this at, at the moment it's, it's difficult to tell <clears throat> i think i think what we're what we're seeing is sfi looking at trying to drive those public good benefits and i think one of the key factors for those is around permanence and if a, a benefit um if to, 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 for, you know, for a benefit to really really um deliver it needs to be over multi years. It needs to be part of a system, and I'm not quite sure yet how that might work with sort of annually putting in place a green cover in a field and then not next year, or or even not regularly incorporating uh, residues. Now, obviously, when veg growers and others rent land as part of rotations, that is going to impact generally on on that. And I think it'd be interesting to see how that how that works within a, within a farm system. At the moment, SFI is looking at having proportions or percentages of whole farm areas into any particular option. So it could well still work, providing this flexibility to move that around within the farm. But I do think it's going to come down ultimately to how how it's measured and how that public good benefit is 
you know, is actually captured on each individual holding. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, the ways in which soil health um, and organic matter levels can be addressed, it's not necessarily all about cover crops or, you know, direct drilling that might not work in every system. No, absolutely, it, it might not. Um, and, you know, I suppose the, the levels of payment under the SFI, you know, are, are not going to be necessarily the ones that dictate, or at a level that dictates what happens for the cropping in that particular field. And I think that's important to remember. We're talking about £70 a hectare for some of the, some of the, um, the, the, land, the land payments, £60 a hectare in the top, the top standard for soil. And I don't think that will be enough in many cases, particularly when we're looking at potentially, you know, high value veg to influence what happens on that on that land, uh, that particular land um, land parcel. Um, and overall, you know, we've done some modelling and sort of on a like for like without really enacting too big a systems change, we're looking at about 50 percent of the BPS income through a sort of a segue into um, SFI, into some of the, some, you know, some examples of farms that we've looked at. And we've also heard um, that there's going to be more support for young farmers and new entrants. Do you know if there's any update on that as of yet? So I think on young farmers, um, it seems that there's a, there's a suite of, there's a suite of sort of new, um, new policy changes that are coming in around decoupling and around um, the lump sum exits and they that coupled with um, encouraging new entrants um, appears to be being pushed back to next year. I think the, there should be um, an information piece out later this year on the, the new entrant scheme um, and it seems as though it will start in 2022 alongside sort of the other end of the spectrum of, of trying to to um, enable some uh, sector restructuring. Yeah, okay. And we touched on this with Amandeep, but Brown & Co are also taking part in the Future Farming Resilience Fund to support farmers through this transition. Why do you think this is so important? Yeah, we, um, we ran the, the largest of the pilots for, for this fund, um, which, fin- which ran for 12 months, finishing in February of um, this last year. Um, and we're now in the interim phase, which is which is um, which will run until February of next year, and then the main phase runs to the end of 2024. So the idea being that that all farmers, um, providing have an SBI number, um, can access this free funding, um, and it's to uh, to to enable farmers to think about what what the policy changes, um, how they're going to impact upon their business, what their opportunities might be. The biggest impact for most will be BPS loss. But thinking about how they can mitigate that through environmental schemes, through some of the new technology grants, um, the farm, the farm transformation fund coming up, um, and for some as well, thinking about whether now is time to think about um, sort of putting in place a succession, planning succession, or planning planning an exit, or for many, looking at new diversification opportunities that you know that, that are arising. Um, we're providing one-to-one on-farm support and consultancy. And interestingly, that was something that in the pilot, most farmers fed back that that was their most valued um, values or request as to how they would like to re- receive support going forward. So that's what we're doing. 
what we understand is that so the social side of support is just as important as the you know the, the, the economics and the financial side because a lot of you know some farmers are thinking about you know lasting decisions here you know these are going to be ones that are irreversible thinking about how they go forward and that takes time Excellent. Thank you, Greg. Um, and all the details for that are available on the DEFRA blog. Super. Thanks, Alice. Are you looking for a winter wheat with an excellent agronomic package, outstanding grain quality and end market potential? Then set your sights on LG Astronomer from Lumagrain UK. LG Astronomer scores 7.4 for Septoria, 9 for Yellow and Brown Rust, is stiff strawed and has OWBM resistance. With a solid yield and specific weight of 77.8, LG Astronomer ticks all boxes for on-farm security and performance. It's a Group 3 wheat that's approved for distilling and biscuit making. LG Astronomer Winter Wheat, the agronomics and quality you've been looking for. Now for my next guest today, Edward Earnshaw. He's an arable farmer and he's also diversified into offering simple help with stewardship to other farmers with his company Just Farm. Great to have you on the show, Edward. So you've got two farms, one in the Cotswolds and one in Leicestershire. So I'm interested to know what approach to environmental schemes do you take across your business? Hello, Alice, and thank you for having me. Um, yes, yeah, so how do we approach stewardship, environmental schemes, and uh, anything else that's going on, and, and what's it all about? I'd say very simply, our approach to stewardship and environmental schemes is simply to use them in the right place without making it complicated. Um, I would say that we probably have a handful of different options from countryside stewardship at the moment across both different arable units. Um, we really don't like to make it complicated and we've probably um, sort of the first time around when we were applying for mid-tier stewardship sort of threw the dart in the wall and thought well let's um, you know let's have a go see what happens and see if they accept it sure enough they did we really didn't overreg it at the time and I think here we are five years later just about to resubmit our application or hopefully have had it submitted at the time the podcast goes live um, to go in for another five years which should take us through the arms transition Um, and and with that what we're really wanting to do is make the farming easier make it more profitable and where the opportunity presents itself as it does with stewardship hopefully do some good by the environment at the same time excellent that sounds like a very good approach and as a business, you've been involved in the um, Sustainable Farming Incentive test and trials, haven't you? Yes, it is. So I've yeah. done a few of the tests and trials, and uh, as well as that, part of the farm not being re-entered into mid-tier stewardship has been accepted onto the uh, national pilot for the Sustainable Farming Incentive. And uh, again, we took our view of not really wanting to take too much risk, but hopefully de-risk the farming business income and thought, well, if we can do it on a small part, have the opportunity to learn, but not sort of get uh, too bogged down by it all, then perhaps that's a good place for us to be, and we'll see what comes. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on the scheme so far from, you know, what you've seen? Uh, Personally, probably a bit contradictory to the the sort of general consensus. (laughs) That's to say that... 
I think in fairness, Defra has said, these are the tests and trials. This is the pilots. We don't know exactly what we're doing at the moment, but we do want to work with farmers to, in their own words, co-design it to work out the best way to do it. Yeah. And I think they've been very open about it, saying, look, we don't have the answer yet, but this is why we're running the long-term pilot over the next four years or so before Elm starts in full. Yeah. And I think actually that's a very fair way to do it because it gives people the chance to practically apply the new rules, requirements, options and standards and whatnot on farm. And if they don't work, they've got a direct line to DEFRA to say, hang on a minute, <laughs> I think we need to rethink this one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's a few payments to go with it. I suspect it won't be a hugely profit-making exercise. Right, okay. But, um, but very much, you know, I want to make sure that when Elms comes along for us, really, we're in the best place possible to say we've been in the pilots, we know how it works, we've seen it evolve, and maybe we steer clear of a couple of options at the time, maybe we go stronger into some of the other ones. Um, and again, to having used mid-tier stewardship on the rest of the farm to take us through that transition, hopefully we'll be in a good place to simply switch from one to the other. Yeah. And you said just then it was a bit contradictory in places. Do you mind me digging a bit more into that and asking in what way? Well, only to say that I think the sort of general farming population and the sort of general farming news perhaps thinks there's a lot of uncertainty uh, about the new system and where basically the BPS payments uh, or equivalents are going to come from. And quite rightly, it's a big part of any farming income. I'm not sitting here thinking, great, you know, the money's rolling in. <laughs> We've still got to do yeah. some cash flows and, uh, and still crunch some numbers. And I think really that's where I see the single biggest change coming is they've said BPS is going to be reduced, but I think they'll still be paying for something. And that looks very much like what the SFI will do in part. And I think it really comes back to a lot of farming businesses having to be a little bit more business orientated. Uh, and that's to say, uh, I, I can't do it all. Um, I've got a couple of people that help me and together, I think we've put the farming business in quite a good position going forward. So we know what the strengths and weaknesses are very simply. It, it's not a it's not a sort of dossier you could throw at someone and knock them over. <laughs> we've just done a couple of easy spreadsheets to make sure we know what we're doing going forward, really. Yeah. So what would your advice be to a farmer who's, you know, deciding whether they should or shouldn't take part in a new scheme? I think very simply, it's about knowing your own farm, as every farmer does very well, knowing where it makes money, knowing where perhaps parts of it are questionable as to how profitable they can be, let's say over a five-year average, um, and seeing an opportunity, or at least looking at available opportunities for different things to do with that land, whether it be a field corner, a margin, maybe an outlying field, and these sorts of things that, that just help the overall farming profitability. Don't think that stewardship is the silver bullet. Don't think it's the replacement for BPS. I think it's one of the tools available that we can use to simply um, help help produce food and help the farming business do that. Yeah. 
And this is, you know, it's a big thing for the industry, what we're going through, this big transition, and I'm sure it's causing an awful lot of anxiety for a lot of people. So as a farmer, do you feel that there is, you know, enough support from, I guess, the rest of the industry maybe um, during this transition? Uh, Good question. (laughs) Possibly not is the short answer. Mm. And that's to say that immediately for a lot of farms... I would say that the general feeling is not that the the uncertainty that's coming, but the uncertainty that's presented now, and simply where do you find help? And believe me, I am not a lover of consultants, um, but occasionally you've got to use one or two um, where you recognise your own weaknesses to get help. And finding the right one can be a bit of a challenge. Um, but I think that is perhaps the biggest single issue is finding the right people to help because all of us have got our expertise. I am no great tractor driver and no fantastic mechanic by a long way, Um, but I do like doing the numbers. Maybe quite oddly, I do like doing some of the paperwork and not all of it. And I think that's where where simply, I think, by recognising our own weaknesses, finding help and admitted it might not be the first person to come across um that's where i think we can add that bit of certainty and take the the change that's coming and this uncertainty that goes with it into having a bit of a plan that says okay this is where we're going how we're going to get there yeah and a problem shared as well absolutely problem shared problem halved you know exactly. and then again you're halfway there to getting it done so Excellent. Well, thanks very much, Edward. It's been great chatting. No problem at all, Alice. Thank you again for having me. Now, a common theme throughout this podcast has been how the new scheme will be measured. So next up, we're going to get an insight into how data can be used to support the delivery of environmental services, both in a public and private scenario. So I'm very pleased to have with me Will Wells, who is founder of Hummingbird Technologies, the artificial intelligence platform for agriculture. Hi, Will. Hey, Alice. So, Will, you guys are all about technology and data. So what role do you think that technology will play in the future of policy like ELMS? You know, we've heard things about the possibility of farms being monitored from space or maybe with drones. So I think that technology has to be front and centre, both with the ELMS policy framework and, and really all climate change positive government programs that are being implemented around the world. Just reading the National Food Strategy brief from the other day, data transfer, remote sensing, measurements, technology implementation on farms is like a pretty consistent theme um, and has been in every single DEFRA announcement to date. Certainly at Hummingbird, because we measure sustainability from space, we think that it's it's really the only cost-effective and scalable way to measure some of these metrics that are being discussed. So we hope that it will be front and centre. And in practice, how can that technology or data that we're talking about unlock what the government actually wants to achieve with this new scheme? So I think the key... The key with with data and technology and unlocking value is firstly independence. 
And secondly, that it works. So like, we are very much hoping that, that land use and tillage and cover cropping use and responsible chemical spraying and water quality management are all things that will be part of the, the ELMS framework. And at Hummingbird, we developed, deployed algorithms at scale that measure all of the things I mentioned from space. And if you're monitoring millions and millions of acres of UK farmland, it would be almost impossible to record you know, every single pollinator strip or grass margin in the UK. So I think it was George Eustace that said that based on the current team at the environmental agency, it would it would take them 236 years before they would come around to inspecting each farm based on the current headcount. So technology really can unlock an efficient and scalable measurement system um, that policymakers, farmers and the whole industry can, can benefit from. Yeah, and I guess you know, kind of using data this way that's accurate, um, it creates a benchmark and removes any room for error or, you know, people measuring things in different ways. I think so. And, you know, just from a, from a pure data science and artificial intelligence perspective, something has to be accurate between 95% and 100% for it to be deployed, which doesn't give, you know, much margin for error. And, you know, at the moment, what we've got is a basic payment system that works on a pure acre-by-acre basis. It's a land parcel cap historic scheme. But if we're moving into a realm of rewarding natural capital and biodiversity and the nuances and the metrics, and I mean, there's, there's, there's a harmonization there, but there's a lot of stuff that, that, that needs to be measured. I think that the only way to do that without error is by leveraging technology because ultimately a system won't work if it's a, a burden for farmers to report. If it's a 400-page form that mm. you have to input every piece of data, it's a nuisance and it will cost more money than it will create. And presumably that makes it much easier for the farmer as well. I mean, that's what we hope. And, you know, right now, Hummingbird is working on, you know, carbon trading projects and uh, corporate insetting programs with many, many, many farmers across different food supply chains. And almost always we work in tandem with farmers, their farm management software systems. Maybe it's a John Deere tractor that's recording data Maybe it's gatekeeper or muddy boots. But the idea is is that software is there to be leveraged, right? Make yeah. technology work for you, don't work for it. Yeah, definitely. So on that, how would we as farmers, um, you know, monetize from this? How do these ideas actually work in practice? So I, I think there's a couple of business models, revenue streams that are beginning to rise to the top. Um, that we're seeing and that we're involved in. The first is governments, so global agricultural subsidies. I think it's six 
600 billion dollars a year and if you look at the eu's farm to fork program or australia's emission reduction fund or elms this is about public incentivization in whatever form that takes now if you're kind of angela merkel or macron it's probably going to be like a government-led subsidy if it's in the uk you know it's probably going to be a public and private market incentivization yeah but replacing the basic payments with some incentivizations is the most obvious the second one is is carbon and payments for ecosystem services markets so how did microsoft buy a credit that was registered with regen network by an australian farm called wilmot that are switching to really responsible um, biodiversity promoting methods of grazing well that's that's a transaction that happened and was a private market transaction we'd love to see those in the uk and then finally if you look at the big guys so nestle general mills cargill they're all committing to regenerative ag projects to net zero targets and hummingbird is already working with many of these big players on their own carbon insetting programs so a great example is um we're working with a household brewer who wants to reward barley farm suppliers uh, based on their own sustainability so like within their own supply chain they want to incentivize farmers that more sustainable versus those that aren't so i think that there are like multiple ways to pay and reward farmers for this it probably comes out of a consumer big corporate or government pocket though do you think you know on what you just said um on these models that are going on in the rest of the world like australia do you think there might be more opportunity for farmers for um you know these private investments as opposed to um the government environmental schemes then you know it's it's something i think about a lot and it's it's quite difficult to ascertain whether this is a flash in the pan pr exercise for bill gates or whether this is you know a new business model that's here to stay whereby every single oil major offsets their carbon emissions you know as part of their day-to-day work like i can't answer that i obviously hope it's the latter i think government subsidies will will stay like if they're implemented based on environmental incentives what i would flag and listening to some of the amazing talks at groundswell janet hughes of defra george eustace etc is that like it seems like everyone is aware of, of this public private how does it work who gets paid challenge mm-hmm. um and so we're hoping that the final piece of clarity on it will have some of those answers yeah i guess the the problem is it's all so new and it's all coming all at once so it's just really hard to know it, it is and it isn't i think looking at kind of some of the some of the data metrics that tesco sainsbury's mns like are asking their supply chains to report looking at you know historic work by people like leaf and sustainable food trust who you know, hummingbird work with I think that like many people are already doing this and they're recording it and they're reporting it. Whether that's harmonised and efficient or not is is kind of a different matter. But um, perhaps now is the tipping point where the 
the, the large part of the market moves. And for, for sort of the here and now, what advice would you give to farmers um, in, you know, the technology that we have available to us now or the data that we have available to us right now? How can we use that to prepare for this transition? So my, my advice is, is, is threefold. One okay. is be open-minded and experimental. Farming is so diverse, and what works for a cereals grower in Lincolnshire might not work for um, a dairy herdsman in in Devon. But in general, experimentation can lead to profitability and a more sustainable outcome. So that's the first encouragement message. The second is to embrace some of the technology that's out there. If you think about kind of what's going on in the UK, you zoom out for a bit and think that we are an absolute leader in nanotechnology, gene editing, synthetic food production, robotics, sensors, 3D food printing, AI, you know, and a lot of it is on our doorstep. So, you know, I'm sure there are many other startups like Hummingbird that that would love to pilot things on farms and would would probably do it for free or in a very cost-effective way to, to, to make it work. Um, and, and then the third one is, is just simply to, to record regenerative agricultural switches with proper independent data. We're working with a couple of schemes that is rewarding 10 years backwards retrospective regen ag switches. So if you're, if you're a grower that's moved from min-till to no-till, that, that might generate a revenue stream in the near future but record it measure it then monetize it so i hope i hope my uh i hope my three three prong bit of advice is, is well received yeah that was brilliant and there's an offer in there i think a lot of people wouldn't be able to refuse for sure excellent thanks very much will it was a pleasure chatting alice you too well i think i can feel an episode on carbon trading coming up soon is all we've got time for for today I'm afraid but thank you very much for listening and don't forget to like subscribe leave us nice reviews um, and get in contact and let us know if there's any topics you would like us to cover going forward so I'll see you next time